Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation as the traditional custodians of the land on which we record this podcast and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and future. I'm Dr. Jody, and as an anxiety expert and adult child and adolescent doctor of clinical psychology, I'm on a mission to create a world where every person can manage anxiety and thrive. Over the last 30 years, I've coached global organizations and worked across clinical and educational settings, including Harvard Medical School. In 2015, I founded The Anxiety Clinic with a purpose to help adults, kids and teens to overcome anxiety, stress, behavioral challenges, low mood and burnout and live life with happiness and well-being. As a keynote speaker and executive coach, I love to help individuals, leaders and teams to master their mindset, enhance well-being and achieve resilient high performance. I also share my knowledge in my best-selling book, The Mind Strength Method, Four Steps to Curb Anxiety, Conquer Worry, and Build Resilience. Join me as I go in session with celebrities, elite athletes, and business leaders to find out how they've leveraged the superpower of anxiety, risen above challenges, and aligned to passion and purpose. Hi, Martin. It's such a pleasure to be here with you today on Where To From Here. I'm so excited to have you on the show because we know each other well. We've known each other for a number of years and I know what a professional and what a phenomenal human being you are. I would love for you to share a little bit about what you do professionally and uh, we can talk a little bit about how we know each other. So first of all, what is your gig, Martin Ede? Awesome to be with you, Dr. J. As you said, we've been friends for a few years now, and it's uh, lovely that you've been able to invite me on the podcast today. So what do I do? Well, I'm a sales coach. My purpose in life is to motivate and inspire, and my purpose is to uh, help the business uh, health, the sales health of over 2 million businesses around the world. So that's what inspires me to get up every day and do my thing. I love selling, and I love uh, coaching people to become better versions of themselves and better salespeople along the way. And what I truly know of you and your amazing points of difference is heart-driven sales, right? You are a man who deeply cares about your clients and cares about the world and cares about your colleagues. Tell me a little bit about heart-driven sales. What is so powerful about that? Well, everything in life goes back to heart. I mean, and everything starts with heart and sales is no different. You know, people have this preconceived notion that sales is all about bullying and pushy and all that sort of stuff. But in the 40 years I've been in sales, I've never done that. And I can look back over my sales career with a sense of pride, knowing that I've never consciously, and I say that word because maybe subconsciously, but I've never actually consciously pushed or manipulated or conjoled or bullied anybody into making a sale because it's not who I am. And because I'm a, a firm believer that if you're there to serve, and I use these words today, if you can't make a difference in someone's life or make the world a better place, then you should walk away. And that's what the heart's all about. And you're a very heart-inspired woman, and so you get it. So it's all about heart. And you know when you're talking with someone or you know when you're in a sales process because you can feel it. And you know if you're going to be doing good by them. You know if you're going to be able to make a difference in their life. 100%, 100%. The superpower of authentic connection. So when we are 
engaging from the heart and engaging from a place of authenticity, that's when those connections build in a powerful way. And that's when all of these wonderful things about building relationships evolves out of that. And there's nothing better in the world of sales than to be heart-based and uh, and truly connect with your clients. But this heart-based uh, human being that you are, sometimes it can be a bit of a double-edged sword, right? Caring people, people who give a shit, sometimes um, when things are tough, that hurts, yeah? Because you give a shit, yeah? So what I'm really curious about, because what this um, podcast is all about is helping people to recognize the superpower of caring and the double-edged sword that can evolve in that. And in these interviews to be interviewing human beings who have risen above the challenge to really realign to that magnificent passion and purpose. And in your case, the passion and purpose of sales. So I'm really curious to know about some of the challenges that have been in your life over the years, the adversity, anything come to mind? If we've been on this world long enough, we've all been through adversity. So, uh, but it's the one thing that makes us stronger. And I guess I was very fortunate as a child where I had an amazing family and amazing upbringing. So unlike a lot of People, I had a, a lovely childhood and I happened to get into sport at an early age, uh, which I was quite successful at. And I think the fact that I was successful as a sports person and I was competing at Commonwealth Games and I was competing at World Championships for New Zealand and rowing, that my first real experience with stress or pressure was when you're competing at that top level. And at that time, we didn't have, it wasn't the time when we had, you know, psychologists and doctors and everyone working for us. This was the, um, the late 80s, right? So it was, how do you deal with the pressure? The first real time that it affected us was actually at school. So we'd been rowing for all this time. We'd rowed for four years. We'd never lost and we're being built up as the sure things. And we were taken in front of the, the school principal and we were told that, you know, if we won, we were going to do this. And so the one race we've been training for, for five years or four years. And as I said, we'd won everything all the way through that one race, that one final, when we got to it, we didn't win. We didn't get second. We didn't get third. We didn't get fourth. We completely cocked it up and we got fifth and. I was 17, 18 at the time, and I was just distraught, totally, absolutely gutted. I just wasn't the same person for some time, right? Because it affected me in the chest. I could feel it. It was just horrible. I just couldn't get out of that feeling of failure, right? And on top of that, you had people at school that had seen our high-profile crew, and, and, of course, you go to school, and, and you had a lot of people going, ha-ha, please, you didn't win, and, you know, kind of just twisted the knife. You know, the, the tall poppy people were pleased to see you fail. Absolutely. So that was kind of my first experience with it. But when you say I wasn't the same person, what do you mean by that? Because it sounds like it was a, a sledgehammer. How did that impact you? You mentioned some of the physiological experiences of, let's call it anxiety, you know, that sense of what anxiety is, our physiological reaction to perceived threat in our environment. And that worry story or that reality kicking in, I have failed. What does that mean to you? I have failed. Does anything come up there? Yeah, for me, I'm a very competitive person and I'm, I'm more competitive with myself than anybody else. I don't know if that makes sense. 
I'm super competitive. And so it took about a week of soul searching and a lot of other people in my crew, because we were in the last year of school, they decided that uh, that was it for them. They'd had enough. They had a gustful. So they decided no rowing for me. But I thought, you know what? I can't quit there. I'm not going out on that note, right? For me, it was going into action, right? Yeah. So for me, it was more about, uh uh-uh, I ain't quitting. And so for me now, it was kind of a, I was about to use a swear word, it was kind of an F you to everybody else that said, I can do this. Yes. And so then it was right. So my goal now is to make the New Zealand team. And then the same thing happened again. We went through selection one year and I was a sure thing. I was winning all the boat races. We hadn't lost. The selectors saw fit not to put me in the team, right? Same thing came up. And then I thought, exactly the same thought process. I thought, well, F you selectors. I'm going to become that good next year that there's no way you can leave me out. And that just inspired me to do more and more so that the next year they couldn't leave me out of the crew. Amazing. What do you think it was, that mindset pivot, you know, that's really core. And when I talk about moving from anxiety into effective action, into high-performance habits, what did you dig deep on to enable you to do that? It was more self-belief. Yeah, I've always had one of my, I guess my superpowers is the fact that I believe I can do anything. When things get tough and when things don't go right, it's a weird space for me because when things are tumbling down around me, I kind of get into a sense of calm. I'm kind of looking at, okay, I know there's an issue and I know things aren't great, but I go into, I can solve this. I can fix this and I can make this better. Talk about the mindset hack that that is. It's, you know, we have a choice point in this moment. The choice point is get caught up in that worry snowball of what if I'm no good? What if I put myself out there and I fail again? And what if they judge me negatively? And worry can chime up or that critical voice can say, you are no bloody good, don't even bother. Where what you're describing is a magnificent capacity to move away from any of that and move into problem solving and action planning and kicking the shit out of your goals, right? (laughs) That's determination. That's such a superpower, which is amazing. Some people have got a very strong critical voice that says, don't bother, you're not worth it, you're going to fail anyway. Do you find that that voice is there and you just have an ability to not let it boss you around? Or do you find that that voice isn't there in the first place? I guess I would say part of my um, strength and weakness, right? So part of my strength is that I don't believe I will ever fail. Part of my weakness is that I don't believe I will ever fail because I don't see the Mack trucks coming until it's too late. And then a Mack truck runs you over and you oh, shit, I didn't see that coming. There's an interesting nuance in what you're describing because that self-belief is a heart-driven self-belief, you know, because you're a person who cares deeply as opposed to, we might call it narcissism, (laughs) which is a couldn't give a shit about anybody else, self-belief, and I'm just going to bowl over everybody around me. And that is definitely not who you are because I know you well enough to know that that's not who you are. So that capacity for self-belief is incredibly powerful. What is it that goes on for you? As you say, sometimes, you know, this is so interesting what you're describing because the fight or flight reaction, that physiological reaction to perceived threat 
or the worry story is perceived threat, but it's also a physiological reaction to real threat. And that's when we're going to cross the road and not look left and right. And, <laughs> and that's when danger comes and knocks us over, right? So I'm really curious about this experience of when there is something that you really need to be looking out for. What goes on there for you? Well, there's been a few times when the, the challenges that you face are quite overwhelming. And so I don't want people to think that I'm never overwhelmed because I am and that I'm just the shield because, in, you know, in the 2008 GFC, when that struck, you know, in the business that I was in, all of a sudden it was going through some financial issues. The financial stresses, you know, I, I physically feel it in my chest. I can feel the tightness in my chest. So I know when I'm anxious because I physically rub my shoulder and I can rub a bruise into it. It doesn't happen often, but when it's there, it's there. And what and, in this situation with the financial uh, crisis that was going on for you, what was the worry thoughts? What what was the story that was playing out in your mind at that time that triggered that physiological reaction? Well, the worry story was, you know, if I can't uh, make some sales because it's my business, then I'm not going to be able to buy all my kids were at private school at the time. Or, and so it was a matter of how do I feed and care for my family? How do I feed and care for myself? Because at that time, my first marriage had just broken down. So I was living on my own as well. And it was just that whole process. And it's interesting that when I would get into the, the space of anxiety, the space of stress, I don't necessarily like that word stress, but the case of anxiety, the anxiousness or the anxiety would only occur when I wasn't at work. So when I was actually at downtime, it might have been in the middle of the night or it might have been when I was sitting at the movies or on the couch watching something. Sometimes the enormity of what I was trying to do would hit. But once I got to work, the anxiety and the enormity of it vanished. It just completely went away. What do you think was underlying that that enabled you to just have that alignment to what you needed to do? Well, that's because I was just focusing on solving the problem, right? So I wasn't camping out in pity party. I wasn't camping out and oh, I can't do it. It was, a, it was just a case of, okay, I'm at work. You know your shit. You're good enough. Solve it. And so then I was in that solving mode, which I know is a superpower. Yeah, and that's amazing, that superpower. You know, at times when I've been you know, stressed or stuff's been going on, let's say, you know, overwhelmed with university exams or whatever it might be. Sometimes even when I'm talking with my kids and helping them with some stuff, a mantra that I find really helpful in that moment is don't think, just do. You know, it allows you to get those blinkers on, right? Don't think, just do. And it sounds like you were doing that mighty well. Don't think, just do. But you know what else it is, is, you know, your capacity when you were at work, that's mindfulness to bring yourself back to the present moment and to enable you to not let that worry voice get in the way that says you won't be able to put food on the table, you won't be able to look after your loved ones, but really bring it back to right here, right now, what can I do that is in my control? And that's the superpower right there is practical action in the present moment around what's in your control. To be able to move out of stress and do that is very powerful. And so what else did you draw on in this time when it was so tough? Well, it was, it was resilience. And then once, once I got through it, once we got through the GFC, it was a matter of looking back and 
you know, kind of giving the finger to the GFC and going, ha, knew I'd get through it. Wasn't without some battle scars, wasn't without some scrapes. You know, a lot of bark had been taken off. I learned a lot. You know, you learn a lot. What is resilience to you? Resilience is being able to, um, what does Winston Churchill say? I, I love the quote where he says, um, resilience is a, a an attitude of going from failure to failure without losing any without losing motivation or something like that with any without losing any any enthusiasm what a great quote and I, and I think the one thing that i have in spades is i have enthusiasm um, i'm enthusiastic about life i'm enthusiastic about whatever i do even if i'm not doing so great i'm still enthusiastic about it because what's the alternative i always try and take the positive i'm obnoxiously cheerful and I will always try and see the bright side. And even, you know, five years later when, you know, probably the most challenging time of my life and I met you just after was when, you know, my marriage failed and my business eventually did uh, hit the skids. And, you know, you're in a place where, huh, so the business that I'd owned for 25 years uh, was no more. And what do you actually do? And and my marriage had had failed. And so I was on my own uh, with nothing. So what do you do? No great shock. Yeah, sure, you have a bit of a pity party. But I had some great friends at the time, and I think I had a pity party for about 10 minutes until one of my friends said to me, hey, look, dude, yeah, that's not helpful. It's not like you. Pull your socks up and get into it. Beautiful that you you leveraged the power of connection, connected with friends. Because when we have a pity party, what do we want to do? Do we want to connect or do we want to just shut down and say, world, go away? We mm. can't withdraw from the world, right? And when when that happens, when we withdraw from the world, do we feel better or do we feel worse? When it all boiled down, I, th- I kind of, my mindset was, okay, so I've got a clean page now. So I can do anything with that clean page that I want to do. Mm. And I'm a high performer. And so the thought of starting again, financially, business-wise, whatever, it didn't worry me because in business, I always start new projects and build them. Mm. So the whole building of my own asset wealth base, my own another business, that wasn't it. And in fact, the the thought of having a clean, clean slate was quite empowering. And one of our friends uh, or our mutual um, mentors at the time, I happened to be sitting with Kerwin Ray one night at a dinner in LA. And he said to me, you know, what are the biggest things holding you back? And I said, well, it's the fear of failure. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, who says you're failing, Marty? And I thought, you know, what a great question that was. And I got thinking, well, who says I'm failing? I was saying that I was failing. Uh But when I actually looked at it, I wasn't failing. And now I can look back on that whole sphere of my life and be eternally grateful for it because if that so-called failure or the adversity that I went through hadn't happened, I wouldn't be sitting in front of you right now, the most powerful version of myself I've ever been in my life. Uh And it all came through the adversity that I went through and the actions that I took to put myself in a position of, you use the word winning mindset, but to figure out what my purpose and my passion was and to chase that with every fiber of my being, knowing that the financial stuff would sort itself out. If I was successful, the other stuff would come. Absolutely. And how beautiful uh, with that question that our friend Cohen Ray was saying around who says that you're failing. And that is so beautiful because what that enabled you to do in that moment is get distance from that worry story 
that I am failing or you will fail, don't bother. And your capacity for resilience was just profound to be able to get distance and realign and ultimately bring it back to heart, right? You use the words passion and purpose. Mm -hmm. How beautiful. And leverage the learning that you've had along the way. And I'd love to move into talking about your passion and purpose. Before we go there, I'm curious because earlier on after your experience in the financial crisis, you said there were some learnings that were going on there as well. And I asked you about the definition of resilience, but I'm still really curious to know what other learnings did you experience at that point in time? I think um, it's interesting because going through the GFC and I had to downsize the business and I had to get rid of all that because the business had been around for about 10 years at that stage. And when you're running a business, you end up with a lot of fat in this, in, in the system, right? And when you need to turn the tap off and stop the money flowing out, it doesn't just stop flowing straight away in a business. So I got very clear on my finances. I got very clear on team and how many I needed. I got very clear on processes. It really got me back to basics. And so it shine a light on the fact that I wasn't treating my business with the due care and attention that it needed. And it was a real wake-up sign to say, hey, dude, you know, don't do that again. It was kind of the universe saying, you know, smack, smack on the back of the head. Mm. Be warned. (laughs) The power of self-awareness and self-reflection to be able to leverage your experiences and move out of that pity party and move into what can I learn from this? How can I do things differently? And what you're doing in that moment, which I love so much and in these points in time that you've described, is you're bringing it back to a value. And there's certain words that come to mind for how I would define the value, but I'm curious to know what value, when we move out of fight or flight, and this is core to the mind strength methodology, is step one is awareness when we're in fight or flight, that response to threat or perceived threat. And it can undermine our capacity for building high performance and thriving. But you constantly bring it back to value-driven action and high performance habits. So what is the value that underpins this capacity to do this, this capacity for resilience? What are some of the things that you value? That's a very good question. I value me. I value me as a human being. And I value that I have a voice that I want to share and that I want to make a difference in people's lives. And I think that's something that I've always known because ever since in one of the very first gigs I ever had, I was on stage talking to people and it lit me up being able to share a message on stage. And I've always said from, and this was when I was 20 odd, right? And I've always said that my idea of a fantastic career would be doing that every single day. And now I do that every single day, whether it's on Zoom or whether it's on a stage or whether it's in a room, I actually get to do that every single day. So as I said to you, my purpose in life, I've always known from an early age is to motivate and inspire. And even back when I was in a rowing team, I was motivating, inspire my crew members. And then you put that into business, you put that into a career. So my motivating and inspiration has always been two of my highest values because it's what I like to think that I do when I interact with anybody every day. How stunning, how stunning, you know, motivating, inspiring, 
caring, kindness, compassion, and compassion for self and others, you know, this is beautiful because so often when we value these sorts of things, it can be very much the extending it outwards and not necessarily giving it to yourself. But what I love about what you're describing is you do have this beautiful capability to bring it back to valuing you, valuing yourself. And what I'm hearing is deeply valuing continual improvement, deeply valuing learning and deeply valuing growth and development. And when we value that, it's about looking at the situation and saying, right, what can we learn from this? So taking it to alignment to your values and alignment to your passion and alignment to your purpose. I am so delighted to be able to um, listen to you, to share some of these things about your passion and your purpose. So tell me a little bit more about now this incredible evolution that you've had through your professional and your personal life. What is some things that you are thriving in now with that alignment? I'm very uh, a big believer in the universe. And the fact that throughout my life, I now know with certainty that this is where I was meant to be and that I couldn't have got here any sooner because I wasn't meant to be. And so that has given me great clarity, great clarity on my purpose and my mission moving forward. And now I'm, I'm really looking at my legacy and I'm looking up, you can't see, but I'm looking up at the moment. I've got my legacy plan sitting right, right ahead of me now. So that now I'm looking at, so when I die, when I'm no longer on this earth, how can I continue to serve humanity? And I've got a list of four action items up there, which I will have completed by 2034, which if done, I know will allow me to, <laughs> when, when, when they are done, it will allow me to continue to, to serve humanity along after I'm gone. And it's not through ego. You know, a lot of people with our year an egotistical, but it's not about that. I see that there is such a deficit in empowerment, in self-worth, in all of this stuff which goes into selling, right? Because one of the biggest issues that I see with people when they're trying to sell is the fact that they don't think they're good enough. It's their mindset. Uh, I'm not good enough. Oh, they won't want that. Or I can't sell something because it sounds like it's bullying. Well, you know, if... I can make a difference in one person's life. That's awesome. If I can make a difference in 10, that's 10 times awesome. But, you know, I want to make a difference in millions of people's lives. And that's my motivation moving forward. I get up every day with a bit of a spring in my step and go, yeah, come on. Because I'm, I'm not intending on retiring, Dr. J. I'm going to be doing this. I kid around that, um, you know, the day they're putting the lid on my coffin, I'll be, I'll have one arm out and saying, don't forget. You know, I'll just do doing one last bit of coaching on the way through. I'm on fire. And you know, that on fireness <laughs> is the power of heart, right? It's the power of passion and purpose. And you know, when we talk about high performance and enablers for high performance, this is why purpose is so important because that's where our energy comes from. When we can connect to our own sense of alignment to purpose, but also as a leader, when you can enable your team through your championing your organizational purpose. And because everybody wants to make a difference, everybody wants to have impact, right? We want to, we want to matter. And so alignment to purpose is what cultivates energy, both for ourselves and for the people around us. 
So your ability to do that and stay so heart-centered is incredibly um, powerful. It is a superpower, right? You know, if I think about my own experience, my heart just kind of like tugs me along every day. (laughs) It's kind of like sometimes I feel like I've got a little little leash that's kind of like being being pulled from my heart. And uh, that's just the power of heart-centeredness in connection with your clients or indeed the world. So in the uh, experiences that you've had along the way, have there been any books or any individuals that you have connected with that you found particularly inspiring or particularly helpful to be able to rise above anxiety and move into resilience? For sure. I think there's been a number of people. I think uh, Kerwin Ray is one person who, um, you know, I've been a part of his group for the past five years now. The messages of a gentleman called Peter Crone um, resonate with me and particularly his line when he says, you know, things couldn't have happened any other way because they didn't. That was quite a powerful one for me when I was going through things. There's a particular individual who, um, who is a friend of mine who's actually written a book. This one right here. The Mind Strength Method by uh, Dr. Jody Loinger. I think oh, that's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Thank I, you. I found I found that a fantastic read as well. So, but yeah, there, there's lots of lots of people that inspire in in your particular uh, field of genius. From my experience, I know what you do, and you do so well, and you operate at that high level. And um, as you you said to me, I'm a heart inspired, but you're a very heart inspired woman, and it's 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 how you roll as well. So it's uh, it's why you're so successful and how you can achieve what you're doing, Doctor J. So keep keep it up. Thank you. That's so kind. And um, Kerwin and Peter, two of my faves as well. So amazing. Love those insights. So I would love to hear if you have any key messages that you would love to share with the audience, with people out there who experience anxiety and who perhaps are finding it tough, what would you love to share with them as far as some of the life experiences that you've had and the mindset hacks or the day-to-day actions that you've engaged in that you think might be really helpful for people? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm very fortunate in that, yes, I've experienced some not so great experiences in my life, but I also know that I have a unique ability to see things slightly differently. And that's a gift that I was born with. Not everybody has that gift. But I would say to anybody that's going through some tough times, that's going through some some difficulties, is to have faith in yourself. If everything else around you is burning down, have faith in you. Because, you know, I was I was having a look the other day and there's a one in 700 trillion chance that you're actually born in the first place. So you're actually put on this earth for a reason. And it's incumbent on you then to live the most authentic, the most powerful life you possibly can. And you're not going to be able to do that by being weighed down. So if you can somehow see fit to break the shackles and see the goodness in you and see the inspiration that you could be to somebody else and to know that the short-term pain you're going through right now, there's actually a lesson in it. And it might not be obvious right now. It might not be obvious in a month. It might not even be obvious in a year, but at some stage in your life, you're going to be able to look back and go, ah, that's why that happened. Now I understand it. So what you're going through now is not fatal. What you're going through now is just a temporary blip and it's there to serve you for some reason, it's up for every individual to figure out what that is. 
But I would just encourage everybody to look in the mirror and see what your friends and family would. They're going to see someone that's totally awesome, that someone is ready to step up and take on the world. And that's, yes, just get out there and get out there and do it and just have confidence in yourself. It's easy to say. It's not that easy to do, but it starts with a single step. So figure out what that step is and take it, and then you're away laughing. I love that. It starts with a single step and, uh, you know, small, mindful actions, chipping away is is incredibly powerful and bringing it back to that self-belief. Amazing. Martin Eid, it was such a joy to talk with you today. And congratulations on your amazing ability to move through adversity, move from anxiety into resilient and high-performing action. Take care. And, um, yeah, a pleasure to chat with you. Always fun chatting, Dr. J. Thanks for the invite. That's a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Where To From Here. If you like what you've heard, be sure to click follow or subscribe for future episodes of Where To From Here via your podcast app. Leaving a review helps others find the podcast. And for more information, head to drjody.com.au or follow our socials at underscore drjody underscore.